Dramatic developments in a case of alleged police interference. Why it's now a criminal investigation. And what's next for the officers? A major victory against organized crime. I think this sends a strong message under our existing civil forfeiture regime. How the province is seizing millions of dollars in real estate from the Hells Angels. And agricultural land battle. It's a big threat to our domestic early food supply. How protecting a critical piece of farmland just took an unexpected turn. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with some major developments today in the investigation into a car crash in Burnaby involving several off-duty VPD officers who allegedly threatened an RCMP officer at the scene. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the initial investigation by the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner is now on hold and a criminal investigation is underway. One month ago, a motor vehicle collision in Burnaby resulted in some troubling allegations involving several Vancouver police officers. Now, Global News has learned that three senior members of the VPD, a superintendent, and two inspectors are under criminal investigation for possible obstruction of justice. The investigation is being done by Metro Vancouver Transit Police, who said... I can confirm that Metro Vancouver Transit Police have taken over the investigation regarding the incident that occurred in Burnaby January 17th, involving both the Burnaby RCMP and the Vancouver Police Department. On January 17th, several members of the VPD's Women's Personal Safety Team attended an off-duty course after one member crashed at Royal Oak and Kingsway while allegedly making an illegal left-hand turn. When a Burnaby RCMP officer was investigating, one VPD member allegedly grabbed the Mountie's arm amid attempts to retrieve a cell phone. Another VPD officer allegedly threatened the Mountie's job. The corrosive effect on public trust is potentially very significant because what we're talking about is an attack on the rule of law by the very people whose official function it is to protect the rule of law. In response to questions about the incident, Chief Adam Palmer said, My understanding is they were all off duty and we're doing a review of the uh, situation. Okay, how concerned are you about it? Well, we have to get the facts and find out what happened. B based on what I've heard, not that concerned. Superintendent Tanya Weisker, the most senior officer under investigation, is now assigned to FIFA World Cup, a job related to security and policing preparations. It's expected to include travel and possible attendance at other large-scale events. I think the police chief ought to have suspended the senior officers involved. The message being sent to the police force itself and to the general public is that this is no big deal. VPD says the officers remain in the positions they were reassigned to. The incident also prompted a Section 110 Police Act investigation, but the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner says the Police Act investigation has been suspended pending this outcome. Sources say the Mounties' body camera apparatus captured video and audio of the entire incident. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC has won a long-standing civil forfeiture case against the Hells Angels. The Court of Appeal ordering three HA clubhouses 
to be forfeited to the province. Kamal Karamali joins us in studio now with more on this. And Kamal, this has been a long battle and it's a big victory for the province. That's right. This has been years in the making, but now BC's Court of Appeal rules the Hell's Angel clubhouses in East Vancouver, Kelowna and Nanaimo will be seized because a panel of three judges believes the properties will be used for future criminal activity. Now this all stems back to 2007 when the clubhouses underwent a series of police raids. In return, the Hells Angels filed a counterclaim and won. In 2020, the BC Supreme Justice found there was a lack of evidence that those clubhouses were used for past criminal activity, nor that they would be used for that in the future. Now the properties were then returned to the biker gang in 2020. The province then launched an appeal of that decision just last year, we have received that Court of Appeals decision today where the judges clearly sided with the province, arguing that the trial judge who made the decision back in 2020 used an elevated standard of proof that was not needed. Now, it found the Hells Angels outfitted the clubhouses to prevent the police from surreptitiously, excuse me, monitoring those uh, activities. The clubhouses provided a safe space for members to conspire to commit or engage in crime. And finally, we find the inference uh, inescapable that the clubhouses were likely to be used in the future as they had been in the past. Uh, this was a very important decision, I think, from the Court of Appeal today. Uh, I think it's frustrating for British Columbians to uh, know that people are uh, known to police, uh, they're driving luxury cars, they own real estate, uh, and, uh, and they don't appear to have any source of income uh, for that, operating quite openly uh, in our province. Uh, so I think this sends a strong message under our existing civil forfeiture regime uh, to uh, criminal organizations, but more broadly, uh, it confirms the direction that we're going. Now, the decision continued to say the judges drew their conclusion because many in the past had committed serious crimes and there has been no evidence of any change in the nature of the Hells Angels. We reached out to the motorcycle club's spokesperson and their clubhouses, but did not hear back in time for our deadline. Chris? All right, Kamal, thank you very much. Embattled RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky is retiring from the force next month. Lucky was appointed to the job as chief of Canada's National Police Force back in 2018. She was the first woman to hold the role on a permanent full-time basis, and there has been speculation about her future as she approached the end of her term. Lucky took over the organization amid issues of bullying and harassment within the force. She herself faced intense criticism over the Mounties' handling of the convoy protest in Ottawa as well as the mass shooting in Nova Scotia. Lucky's retirement will come two weeks before the final report is released on, the sh on that shooting by the Mass Casualty Commission. Lucky's last day is March 17th. Two and a half years after a crash in Coquitlam killed 30-year-old Catherine Hill, the court case for the driver responsible has come to an end. Ryan Stainer will not serve any jail time. And as Romina Dea reports, Hill's family calls the sentence shocking. The court case is over, but make no mistake, there is no closure for Catherine Hill's family. This grief for the past two years is, is gut-wrenching. It leaves a hole in your heart. And I don't think he understands the impact of what he's done. Ryan Stainer did not go to jail Wednesday. He went home. 
Stainer pleaded guilty to one count of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death. His sentence, two years less a day, to be served in the community. Crown and defense making a joint submission. I'm angry, yeah. I'm, I feel like the, the justice system has, has failed. He gets to go home and go to work every day and, you know, see his family. And uh, again, we were, we were robbed of that. The devastating crash happened at the Brunette off-ramp, August 2020. Stainer's truck ultimately flipped, throwing Hill through the windshield. She was rushed to hospital, but died a few days later. Hill was 30 years old. Hill was the passenger in Stainer's vehicle. It's still unclear how they knew each other. The victim's family says, according to the evidence, Stainer was doing 140 kilometers an hour in a 60 zone when the crash happened and he was on drugs. Very shocking that you can drive while under the influence of uh, cocaine and fentanyl um, at excessive speeds and kill somebody and you don't. Uh, serve any jail time for that. The victim's family members say Stainer's apology did not seem sincere. They leave court still in pain, wanting people to know Hill was destined to make a difference. The young victim was two credits away from becoming an addictions counselor. I miss everything about her. And I'll never get that back. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, it is one of the biggest and most badly needed construction projects in the province. And we are now being told the new Patella Bridge will be open to traffic sometime next year. The bridge it's replacing has just four lanes and the new one has room for six. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, when it opens, only four lanes will be in use for vehicles. Hard to believe, but all of this will be a new bridge by next year. Surrey City Council getting an update on the timeline earlier this week. As you know, the Patello Bridge is a key connection. Traffic should be driving across the new span sometime in 2024. If the bridge were to be expanded, the walking and cycling lanes would become vehicle lanes. When it opens, the new bridge will give people around the region a safer, easier crossing. Not just for cars, but for all users. According to some critics, though, the new bridge will open with unnecessary limitations. The bridge being built to hold six lanes of traffic, yet only four will be usable. In the metro Vancouver region, we're expecting another 1.3 million people. It doesn't really make sense to replace a four-lane bridge with another four-lane bridge. Some in Surrey put the blame at the feet of New Westminster, where one of the key roadblocks to more lanes is road capacity and a reluctance to see more traffic passing through. According to Mayor Patrick Johnstone, TransLink, New West and Surrey all agreed to the current configuration and the concept of future proofing the bridge. Traffic volumes will be monitored and if there is need for more lanes, more can be added. There is a three-party agreement in place and if it can be demonstrated that we need, that that is the, that is the need of this region, then of course we are willing partners in that conversation. Once the main tower of the span is completed, the project should take shape quickly. Much like the Port Man Bridge, preformed deck sections can be installed in quick succession. 
Work on the approaches to the bridge in both directions will begin by the end of this year. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now, the original Patello Bridge was completed in 1937 with an expected lifespan of just 50 years. It's now been in use for 86 years. When it opened, about 5,000 vehicles crossed the bridge every day. Now, there are about 70,000 daily crossings. Now, an update on a story we first brought you last week. A shoe swap woman is one step closer to going home after a tractor trailer that slammed into her house at the end of January was finally removed today. Global's Megan Turcato reports. I just, I want to have some closure. I want to see that nothing else collapses. <laughs> Hilda Freimuth spent much of the day Wednesday watching crews remove a semi-truck from the side of her Sorrento home. The tractor-trailer was carrying electronics down the Trans-Canada Highway on the afternoon of January 31st when it left the road and slammed into Freimuth's attached garage. I'm getting better, but uh, still a lot of trauma from that. After more than two weeks out of her home, she's relieved and happy the removal is going ahead. You know, it's been a long haul and um, just, you know, want things to get back to normal, if there is a new normal. <laughs> The removal was a lengthy process as crews first pulled out the trailer. Part of that work saw the trailer hoisted by a crane mounted on a towing vehicle up to the highway above the home. Then heavy equipment was used to remove part of the roof the cab was under. By mid-afternoon, the truck's cab had also been removed, freeing Freimuth's vehicle and bringing her one step closer to returning home. As Freimuth deals with the cleanup, She's continuing to push the Ministry of Transportation for a barrier between the homes on her street and the highway. We haven't heard back from them, so hopefully soon we'll hear back from them to see if they can put up a barrier for us, because this, our house and this house are at risk. Her neighbour says previously there was another incident where a vehicle left the highway in this area, but in that case the truck didn't hit any homes. I absolutely think there should be a barrier. It just doesn't seem safe at all, because the truck could easily slide over. I mean, that's happened twice. Wednesday, the Ministry of Transportation told Global News virtually the same thing it said last week, that it is reviewing the safety history of the area and considering what other safety measures may be required. Megan Turcato, Global News, Sorrento. The lobbying has begun in earnest ahead of this year's provincial budget. B.C.'s Chamber of Commerce is in the capital, pushing for relief from measures they say have piled up over the years. Add high inflation to the mix, and businesses argue they might not survive without some government help. Richard Zussman has the story. Admit Hair Lounge in Port Moody, economic pressure feels like death by a thousand cuts. There needs to be some help from the government to help small businesses stay afloat. Lisa Smith and other business owners are just recovering from the pandemic and facing new costs piling up. Higher taxes, mandatory five paid sick days, five years in a row of minimum wage increases, and now statutory holiday for reconciliation. All of Canada should be educated um, and made aware of why it's in place it's just having two consecutive um, 
statutory holidays in one month is, is very hard. It's very hard on the small business owner. It's that struggle small businesses face that have representatives from the province's chambers of commerce here in Victoria advocating for more financial support. If some of those costs go up, we need to have um, some way of looking at the remaining costs and reducing them so that there's balance in that equation. The province does not directly support businesses to pay for statutory holidays or sick days. Premier David Eby says the government was generous through the pandemic and will continue to work to support small businesses. Uh, we've got more work to do supporting our uh, small businesses and our large businesses in our province as we build a strong economy with the headwinds that are coming. And I look forward to doing that work with the chambers. The chambers are asking specifically for the province to increase the employer's health tax exemption threshold, moving it from the current payroll cap of $500,000 a year to $1.5 million. Business owners would also like to see additional help to support paying out sick days. With inflation being a thing and everything starting to rise, I can only rise, raise my prices so much before clients start to leave. And with each customer who leaves, it becomes a little harder to keep the lights on. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, whether you are ready for another election or not, it seems most British Columbians believe we are headed for another vote this year. A new research code poll has found 53% of respondents think it is very likely or moderately likely that there will be a provincial election this year. If that happens, 28% of British Columbians believe there will be an NDP majority, while 25% think there will be a minority. So... Keith Baldry joins us with more on this from uh, Victoria. Keith, maybe it's because we've had so many elections year after year after year over the past several, but why do you think this perception is out there? And what was the Premier's response to it today? Yeah, I think British Columbia is going to be forgiven for thinking maybe it's shaping up to be an election year because of a couple of things. The NDP is flying along high in the polls. Well, two polls last week from Research Co. and Leger have uh, given the NDP a significant lead in decided vote over the Liberals. So that looks good. Uh, the government's on a spending spree. David Eby spending that surplus in his 100 days of action, almost a $6 billion surplus, a billion-dollar fund announced last week. All the trappings will usually precure, uh, sort of preface an election call. But again, David Eby's on the record several times saying no. He was asked again today in the wake of this poll. He says the pollster is asking the wrong question. I think uh, an interesting polling question may have been, do you want an election? Because I've been across this province. I talked to a lot of people. They're concerned about health care. They're concerned about uh, issues related to public safety, about uh, cost of living and making sure our economy is strong through a downturn around uh, issues of housing. They want our government to take action. Uh, and uh, they've not said to me that they want an election. We'll uh, continue to work on those priorities for British Columbians. Uh, to deliver for them, and then we have a fixed election date uh, where they'll have the opportunity to weigh in on how we've done. So again, the latest example of the Premier insisting on the record that he wants to stick to that fixed election date, October uh, 2024. A couple other factors at play. No sign of any nomination meetings in the NDP. Also, the budget that's going to be introduced on February 28th does not going to look like the one they're spending on right now. That surplus disappears uh, by March 31st. It's going to be another big deficit budget. Not a lot of spending goodies to take into an election campaign. So right now, no election is my bet for this year. Maybe next spring, I still think the NDP wants to govern as long as they can. They like being in government much more than they did being in opposition, which is why I think Evie's going to run out the string as long as he can. All right. We'll see uh, if it plays out that way. Thanks, Keith. Okay. A tank full of trouble in Rock Creek.
It's been horrible, I tell you. It's just been uh, a nightmare. How a fuel mix-up at the gas station might have caused thousands of dollars in damage to many vehicles. That story coming up next on the News Hour. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Remembering the talented beauty of 1960s sex symbol Raquel Welch and the roles that propelled her to stardom. That's coming up on the News Hour. And he's got to be the hardest working toddler in town. Why this youngster from Quinnell has over 30 million views on TikTok. Coming up later. Right now, though, some drivers in B.C.'s Boundary Country region may be running into big problems with their vehicles after filling up at a local gas station. Turns out there was a diesel mix-up at the pumps. Of course, using the wrong fuel can greatly damage an engine, but as Taya Fast reports, the complainants say they've received no compensation and very few answers. What was supposed to be a routine fill-up for Spencer Wells and Sharon Cartwright has turned into a nightmare. It's been horrible, I tell you. It's just been uh, a nightmare. Back at the end of December, they filled up both their trucks at this Petro-Canada gas station in Rock Creek with what they thought was diesel fuel, but turned out to be gasoline. My truck did not want to start coming home, and so I was concerned about it. I did contact a mechanic on the Friday the 30th, and then he'd phone me back and advise me that there was a mix-up with the fuel delivery at the petrol can. Now the company responsible for the mix-up, GNB Fuels, declined our request for an interview, stating in an email that it was a simple case of driver error putting regular gas in the diesel tank. Uh, my truck was running fine before this. It didn't need to be repaired in any way, shape or form in, for mechanically. The tank was mistakenly filled around December 24th and according to Cartwright, was discovered on the 30th. The gas station manager also declined to comment, instead directing our questions to Petro Canada. We did not receive a response. We drove all the way home, which was 300 kilometers or more. And uh, found out several days later that there was gasoline in the diesel tanks. And the way we found out was through social media. Meanwhile, GMB Fuels believe 17 vehicles are involved. There's a lot of people out there affected, I'm sure, that don't even know what's going on. Now, almost two months later, Wells says they still have few answers and his truck is still out of service. Being remote, we rely on our vehicles for everything. They're now stuck driving rental vehicles with no idea when or even if they'll be receiving full compensation for the damages. They'd put all the energy into just doing this right back in the beginning of January, it'd all be over and done with. GMB Fuels offered little information about the incident, but said their insurance company is handling all claims. TFS Global News, Rock Creek. Coming up, protecting a precious potato farm. Everyone seems to agree it belongs in the agriculture land reserve, but there's a new player who might have other plans for it. And is this the end of Vancouver's single-use cup fee? Why the city of Vancouver might be dumping it. Well, the future of one of BC's most productive potato farms is in a holding pattern. Ottawa owns the land but wants to get it off the books. The Agricultural Land Commission sees an opportunity to protect 120 hectares for crop production. 
Problem is, as Jennifer Palmer reports, local First Nations are staking claim to the land, saying no one asked them. Fertile land producing countless crops. In 2022, this 220-acre parcel of land at 192nd Street and 36th Avenue in Surrey produced 70% of potatoes in B.C. And this is 50 million servings of fresh, nutritious produce that's produced in our backyard. It's two to three servings on every Metro Vancouverans plate. Tyler Heppel's family has been leasing this land for decades from the federal government. Now it's on the yeah. list to be divested. There are concerns it could be used for development. It's vital to our food supply, our domestic food supply. Petitions and calls for support to include this land in the agricultural land reserve are plentiful, amongst other farmers. with Surrey City Council voting for the land to be put in the ALR. However, the Katsi, Kwantlen and Semiamu First Nations are expressing their concerns. Their lawyers stating in a letter they haven't been consulted and that the inclusion of the land in the ALR will have a serious and negative impact on KKS's inherent and constitutionally protected rights by restricting activities within the land. Putting it in the ALR wouldn't let KKS steward the land as it sees fit. The province is weighing in as well. I'm going to be working with Minister Rankin and our government to um, respond to the letter from the KKS and we'll have more to say. In an email to Global News, Katsi representatives state the three nations are in Ottawa right now speaking with federal officials in an attempt to identify a solution in respect of this land that respects the interests of the various stakeholders involved whilst recognizing the vital importance of this land. The Heppel family would also like some resolution because for them the heart of the situation is guaranteeing this fertile land remains viable as an almost year-round food source. The federal government put a covenant on it keep it in agriculture forever and uh, just lease it to local farmers, which would be the main goal. Global News did contact the Agricultural Land Commission, but did not hear back before deadline. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Vancouver City Council is expected to get rid of the 25-cent fee for single-use cups. The ABC majority on council argued the fee, which took effect at the start of 2022, did little to get people to switch over to reusable cups. On top of that, there was criticism. The additional charge made it harder for people facing poverty to afford a drink at shops and restaurants. The fee could be gone as soon as June 1st. Don't forget your reusable grocery bags. Starting tomorrow, Loblaws will begin transitioning away from single-use plastic shopping bags. The supermarket chain announced the move today, an effort to reduce the corporation's carbon footprint. All of its stores across B.C., including Real Canadian Superstore and Extra Foods, will be making the change. Customers are being urged to bring their own reusable bags. The company says they will also have reusable bags for sale at the checkout. Coming up, Prince Rupert benefits from the basketball effect. We have about 108 rooms and we're utilizing all of them. The economic spin-offs as the town swells for the all-native tournament. And a warning to speeding drivers flying down the road. Watch out for the geese, please. As thousands of people flock to Prince Rupert for the all-native basketball tournament this week, it's not just players who are winning. The event brings in millions of dollars to the city and surrounding area during a normally slow time of year for tourism. Imanagahi reports. 
it's lunchtime. And the dining tables are full at Prince Rupert's iconic Crest Hotel. We have about 108 rooms and we're utilizing all of them as best as we can for the tournament. Founded by the Murray, Busanich and Knutson family 62 years ago, the Crest is still locally owned by Steve and Tina Smith. It is primarily famous throughout the north. Uh, we have a lot of people traveling through this way who will always remember their stays that they have had here. During the all-native basketball tournament, it plays a significant role in housing many of the participants. We do our best to make sure that the teams and the people who are making the event happen especially are accommodating. During the week-long event, players, their relatives and fans arrive from around the province. We can hold about 1,500 here in the main gym. And uh, Thursday nights, Friday, all day Saturday, we fill this place. It's a massive cultural event, but it's also a big economic event. It is estimated that up to 4,000 people will travel to and stay in Prince Rupert for the games. The city itself has a population of only 12,000. In Prince Rupert, we usually don't have to make reservations to get a table at a restaurant, but if you're here in All Native, you better get a reservation or be prepared to wait. Estimates also put the stimulus to hotels, restaurants and other businesses somewhere near $4 million for the week. A big boost for a community that is still recovering from the downturn in its fishing and forestry industries. To have the all-native tournament here, we're so grateful. They mean a lot to us. An event that brings the entire community to life during an otherwise quiet, slow winter month. Emadagahi, Global News. Drivers are warned to be careful, and Richmond RCMP and the SPCA are investigating after two incidents where multiple geese were run over. On Monday morning and again today, the dead birds were found on Richmond roads. In all, more than 20 snow geese have been killed. They were hit by cars on Blundell Road and near the intersection of Number 1 and Francis Roads. Drivers are being told to slow down and keep their eyes open for the birds, especially during the morning rush. B.C. post-secondary students are calling for urgent action on what they call a crisis of sexualized violence at colleges and universities. Associations representing 375,000 students have written to the province demanding legal changes and support for survivors. They want the province to force post-secondary schools to set minimum standards for dealing with victims of sexual violence, and they want $5 million to fund sexualized violence support centers on campus. The province does offer schools education programs on how to deal with sexual violence, but the associations say more is needed. Coming up, the TikTok toddler. The hard-working kid from Quinnell racking up millions of views. And America Beauty, remembering Raquel Welch and how she became something much more than a sex symbol. I remember many, many hours ago thinking that it seemed like a nice day, and then springtime. And then I came inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what happened after that.
Yeah, we're, we're definitely not done with winter just yet. In fact, when we look at the long ranges, potential for a drop in temperature still weighs off, but a heads up, we're not done with winter just yet. But I've got some amazing video from uh, the Suyus area. Greg really is sharing this with us. Have a look. The Aurora Borealis from last night. So what you would call a Valentine's Aurora Borealis. Just some stunning imagery, and he put this video together, so I really needed to share that with you. Look at that. Greg shares a lot of photos with us. He's one of our regular contributors. So thanks so much, Greg. All right. So let's get into things. Uh, We do have uh, temperatures across the province have dropped. Here's a quick look. Let me see if I can click it. There we go. Here's a quick look. So across these northern and central parts of the province, a drop in temperature today. Nothing significant, but certainly more Arctic air across the region. We haven't seen much of a change across the south coast area. Uh, As we head into the next couple of days, we have a front that's going to move on shore. So here's a look at the areas that are impacted right now. The north coast inland sections, Stewart and Kitimat, still snowfall for you tonight into tomorrow morning. And then these areas, the Williston area, just north of Prince George, as well as the Columbia area, uh, anywhere from 50 to 20 centimeters of snow and this is much throughout the day tomorrow uh, particularly um, sort of well starting overnight tonight certainly you can see that system driving onshore now for our region look how close we are but it looks like the ridge of high pressure is going to hold to keep our morning dry it's a bit iffy but the majority of the computer models are showing that the rain's not supposed to shift into our region until tomorrow or afternoon evening and the morning should be dry there is a chance of showers tomorrow morning so a heads up on that and temperatures are going to be cold enough we're dropping down to about two three degrees there's a chance we could see some wet flurries over higher elevations but again the main event is rainfall and we'll see it through the afternoon hours when we're warming up to about six degrees we get in behind it though on friday to a mix of sun and cloud which is nice but it looks like we're back into the rainfall into into the weekend and then again next week it looks like we are going to get cold tonight central windows weather window coming to you from last night again a valentine's shot looking out from the cox bay area into fino i really love that shot just you can see a couple there down in the right hand corner so thanks so much to rosemary and cliff for sharing that with us love that area thank you christy how romantic well you never know what users of tiktok will turn into a viral sensation it can be pretty random but if anything is a sure thing how about a hard-working toddler in quenelle who's attracted already over 30 million clicks like many mothers tamara peltier likes taking videos of her son thomas doing cute things the 15-month-old hangs around with mom and co-workers at the family business, Caribou Water, and he likes helping haul the water jugs. We have the delivery truck come and go a couple times a day, and we load it up in the morning, and we unload it throughout the day, and he just watches and likes to help pack the jugs around. Tamara posted video on TikTok, and it went wild, over 30 million hits. It's a very amateur TikTok video, and it just exploded. Many liked the toddler's work ethic, but comedian Howie Mandel posted his apparently tongue-in-cheek view of toddler labor. He doesn't get any benefits, any health benefits, um, yet um, he puts in a full work day. It's tough to get people working. It's tough to get kids involved, and it just, that whole message just, blew up, I feel. Co-workers are impressed by Thomas. I kind of joke sometimes that I think that he knows this business better than we all do. But for millions, the video was simply a cute diversion. And to those folks, Thomas and Tamara say thank you. Ted Field, Global News. 
Cheers to you, Thomas. I think that bodes well that uh, he's, you know, start him young. That's right. Get him used to doing the chores. Get the work ethic going. Mm. All right, nobody around here has a better work ethic than Squire, and he joins us now with sports. Wow. In my opinion. Well. I agree. Well, there's two. It's <laughs> a good start. Okay, so tonight against the New York Rangers, that's who the Canucks are going to play at Rogers Arena. Vancouver will start goaltender Arturs Silovs. I uh, heard a lot of good things about him, and it's probably a good time to, to get him in and see uh, before Denver gets in here. It's his NHL debut after playing this season in Abbotsford, where he had 21 wins and three shutouts with the baby Canucks. Also coming up tonight, losing a legend with the passing of Raquel Welch, a beauty who fought the ugly side of Hollywood. Rangers can leave all of that mess about MSG behind and enjoy a visit to Vancouver. Yes, you're right. They can. They can. They can visit Rogers Arena, and they will visit Rogers Arena this evening. And it's a team, the New York Rangers, that hopes it's got enough to challenge for a Stanley Cup, taking on a team that hopes it can win the draft lottery. The Rangers have won five in a row, and included in that five was a win over the Canucks last Wednesday at MSG, which was a 4-3 final. With uh, more on this matchup, let's go down to 800 Griffiths Way to be precise where Jay fills us in. The Vancouver Canucks playing the middle game of their three-game homestand tonight. Of course, it began on Monday night with a 6-1 loss to the Detroit Red Wings. It marked the 25th time this season that the Canucks have surrendered five goals or more in a hockey game. Rick Tockett was so disturbed by what he witnessed on Monday, he deemed yesterday's practice to be a back-to-grade-school session. We'll see how class was in session yesterday as his players respond today by taking on the NHL's hottest team. The New York Rangers have won five straight hockey games. I think we have to have more conviction in defending. But I think, you know, there's some times where I think we've done a nice job and, you know, all of a sudden we're down 2 nothing, And there's, you know, and not to blame the goalies, you know, there's only been three shots after 10. But, like, we've done a good job there. So, but to me, it's the egregious mistakes. Like, it's if a guy makes a mistake, it's the second guy that makes even a worse mistake, and then it's in your net. So if we can shore up, yeah, it's a game of mistakes. People make mistakes. It's just the severity of it where we kind of get, we're on the wrong side of it. Well, as we're all seeing, it doesn't matter who's coaching this Canucks hockey team. It either doesn't want to or can't play defensive hockey. The Canucks this season are averaging four goals against. That's unheard of in the National Hockey League. It pretty much all is a mindset. I mean, you have a structure when it comes to, you know, details. But, I mean, it's, uh, you have to be fully committed. Like, it's, um, it's very hard to play down there. You know, it's, you know, when you have the puck to exit the zone, it's harder. I mean, it's really easy to want the puck in the fun part of the rink. But, you know, you got to want it to break out easier in your own end. And you got to communicate, you know. I think that's one thing we've really tried to, you know, get better at is communication. We have a pretty quiet group. And it's, it goes a long way in just those half seconds or full seconds. You give ourselves time in our own end just to help each other. You can try to outscore teams, but in reality, that's just not how you win in this league. It's, it's all about defending. And, you know, we have, we have some skilled players where, you know, when you get the puck in, in, uh, in certain situations in the ozone or off the rush, of, of course, guys can make plays and, you know, be creative. But um, when you don't have the puck, the harder you defend and, and the, the quicker you are to jump on guys and have good sticks and stronger in front of your net, that's, uh, that's what you know, uh, winning hockey is. Thatcher Demko continues to practice. He's going to need a few more practices before he can once again get in the net for the Vancouver Canucks. That means recently recalled Arthur Seeloffs will start for the Canucks 
against the New York Rangers. With your ringside report from Rogers Arena, Jay Janower, Global Sports. At this point in the season, some teams cover their assets, assets, by not playing a player they are trying to trade because they don't want him to get hurt. If he gets hurt, there's no trade. But the Canucks haven't done that yet with anybody. And in the case of Luke Shen, who's definitely on the block, they aren't expected to sit him down either. Uh, I, I expect to be playing every night. I mean, I, I know obviously there is some guys who are held out around the league. Uh, you know, obviously uh, a couple defensemen too. So uh, I've been told any differently. And like I said, I you know hope to continue to play. And obviously, um, you know, the closer it gets, obviously guys throughout the league, if they have offers on the table, and you know, you probably hold guys out. But obviously, it doesn't come to that point and uh, continue to play. All right, so let's take a look at this. This is the bottom six right now in the NHL. Chicago lost again tonight, so I don't think the Canucks are going to get down to Chicago or Columbus's level, but stay in that bottom six and your chances for Bedard are not that bad. Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll see the Whitecaps' new uniforms for 2023. I'm not sure how much different they'll look, but there will be one big change. No bell as the sponsor. That's why during the preseason, the Whitecaps have a blank spot across their chest where... Bell used to be. So the new uniform, when it's revealed, I'm sure will have the new sponsor as well. And today, Dortmund and Chelsea, Champions League, first of two between these two. And uh, look at this. Karim Adeyemi is basically a one-man counterattack. He just keeps going. There's no one to pass to. So just do it yourself. And he does. That wasn't the only thing he did that was impressive. So was that. Koulibaly shot. Cleared off the line by Emre Chan at the last second. And Dortmund celebrate a 1-0 win with their boisterous supporters who have very large flags. Mm -hmm. There you go. That was close. All right, thanks, Squire. Coming up, a woman who wrote a book called Beyond the Cleavage, The Life and Times of Raquel Welsh. Next. Well, Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, it is official now. Vancouver Council has voted to kill the 25-cent cup fee. It will be history no later than June 1st. Plus, a police investigation is underway in Surrey following a disturbing discovery. Surrey RCMP say what appear to be human remains were found on an empty lot just afternoon today. It is a wooded area off Fraser Highway east of 189th Street. And we'll have the latest at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Raquel Welsh passed away this morning at the age of 82, an actress who rose to fame in the late 60s as Hollywood's leading sex symbol. But as Mike Armstrong reports tonight, she's being remembered for reshaping her own image by portraying strong female characters over her 50-year career. In her big breakout role, Raquel Welch barely spoke. Her part in the 1966 film One Million Years B.C. was as a caveman. But it was the promotional pinup for the movie in a fur bikini that turned the single mother of two and former weather girl into an international star. One million, one million years BC to that, right? Yeah, you look. Well, it was a celebrity based less on her roles than her features. I was surprised you didn't introduce me as Raquel Welch, and here they come. That's usually what I. <laughs> Welch was frustrated often by the roles she was offered. In 1972, she created one for herself, producing and starring in Kansas City Bomber. She won a Golden Globe two years later for The Three Musketeers. 
Welch would go on to star in 30 films in a career that spanned more than five decades. But it wasn't always easy. There were the battles refusing to appear nude and rumors she was difficult. She sued one studio for defamation when she was fired from a movie. Welch ended up winning more than the movie made at the box office. She was known throughout her life as an iconic bombshell in the model of Marilyn Monroe. In fact, sharing some of the same frustrations with the Hollywood star system for not being able to do more. The title of her 2010 autobiography was Beyond the Cleavage. Just the girl in that bikini, you know, she actually wrote a book. According to her family, Raquel Welch died after a short illness. She was 82 years old. Beautiful at any age. Absolutely. And very funny in a Seinfeld episode. Mm -hmm. And her poster was the one in Shawshank Redemption where near the end of the movie, the, the, the warden throws the rock through yes. and figures out that Tim Robbins' character has escaped. Wow. Well, there sorry for anyone who's not watched that movie, but it's a good movie. You should watch it. <laughs> Iconic in so many different ways. Uh, last word on weather before we go, Christy. So it's a bit iffy when the rainfall will shift in. The models are showing that it won't be till the, the uh, afternoon hours tomorrow. But uh, it's a bit, yeah, it's so close. The rainfall is just north of us. So heads up. All right. You could see a bit earlier. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.